Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're joined by the founder of Engagedly, Sri Chilapa. Sri founded Engagedly in 2015 to create a new performance management software that bridges the gap between people and strategy, securing the likes of Experian, Deloitte, Rite Aid, and Upwork as clients. Under his leadership, Engagedly has landed a spot on the 2021 and 2022 Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Based in St. Louis, Missouri, Sri hosts the People Strategy Leaders podcast and regularly contributes to the Forbes HR Council. Prior to his career in tech, he was also a producer, director, and writer for several films that are broadcasted on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Showtime, and more. So strap in. We are so excited to have Sri on the podcast today. And here to tell us all about his story is Sri himself. So Sri, thank you for being here, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Drew. It's been a pleasure. Well, as we just uh, took our stab at kind of hearing the background to your story, it sounds like you've had a kind of a, a diverse career, everything from a writer and producer to now an entrepreneur and founder. Take us a little bit into how you got here today. You know, I, th- I just say curiosity killed the cat, but so far it hasn't killed me yet. Um, it's, been, <laughs> it's, been, it's been really driven by curiosity, right? And I, pre- I feel like there are so many things that I, uh, that I want to do in life. And and they all add up together at some point or the other, right? And I think so. My if I were to really go back in my career, you know, I started off as an engineer, um, and my goal at that point was to be an engineer and and you know build spaceships, to be honest. Hmm. And uh, obviously, I realized I wasn't that good of an engineer. Uh, I really wasn't. And I decided, okay, you know what? I really like people. I like hanging out with people. I like talking to people. I like working with people. So I, I went into business instead. So I combined my engineering you know, skills with business skills. And that's where really, you know, has this uh, good mix for me being a tech entrepreneur, because now I understand technology. I've been a software developer in the past and I worked with a lot of businesses in building out their software strategy uh, when I worked with uh, big four back in the, back in the day. But there was a part of me that was always curious about, you know, uh, being creative in nature, you know, and that's Mm. included, you know, some as kids, you like to act, you typically like to play act, you like to make stories up. So that part of me never actually went away, even as I grew up. So part of me wanted to do that. So I would take time off from work and and write movie scripts and make short films. Eventually, I felt like, hey, maybe I shouldn't start making a feature film and ended up, long story short, making about seven different feature films wow. over the course of last 20, almost 20 years, 18 years or so. Uh, no, I, I will say I haven't made one in a, in a few years because Engagely has taken up all my mental capacity uh, to be creative in any other way. Uh, but I do still dabble in creative aspects because some of the ads, I, I do some ads for Engagely. So, we, you know, if you actually go on our YouTube channel, you can see some short, funny ads, you know, kind of like this Geico, uh, Geico type of ads, you know. So I, I yeah. wrote some of those and produced some of those too as well. So... So I can still keep my pulse on being creative while focused on growing um, Engagely as a as a uh, world-class business. Wow. That feels overwhelming to me 
to dabble in writing a film. <laughs> it's not like writing a blog article or let my let me try my hand at a three minute short, right? What was that like for you to take on a, a task like that? You know, it requires really strong discipline and compartmentalization. So one of the mm. things I started doing is I would get up at five and the first thing I would do is go to my make coffee and uh, go to my study room and start writing. Don't check my emails. Don't think about anything else to start writing, you know, and then make sure you do that for at least 30 minutes to an hour. So it's not a lot of commitment in theory. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. Anybody can really realistically do that, but do that on a daily basis consistently over months and months and months. Um, I think it takes a lot of discipline and you just have to tell yourself, you know, I had a sticky note in my in front of my computer that says, you know, discipline, do this today, right? It, it would remind me in case I want to get up, get up and go, you know, do something else. So that's basically how you want to compartmentalize your time. And that's what mm-hmm. I did. And then when it was time to make the film, you know, I obviously partner with a lot of people. I'm not that good that I can do all of these things and make a film all by myself. So I had my writing partners who would help me with writing, who can co-write things of nature. And then, you know, when it was time to make the film, I would take three months off or two months off from work completely, right? Completely disconnect myself from work and just focus 100% of my energy on making that film. Wow. Um, that's basically how it works. So you had to kind of just figure out your boundaries and your compartmentalization and how you want to break up your day. You know, a day, even though, I mean, you work in a day, but you really only are really working for six to eight hours for the most part, right? Now, so it's not a time issue. It's an energy issue at that point. It's like, yes. do you still have energy left at the end of the day to do that? Maybe best your best creative energy is in the morning. Maybe you focus on that on the morning and focus your evenings on responding to emails. You know, you figure out what's best for your creative levels uh, energy. You know, there's a whole book written about that by Daniel Pink. That's Daniel when. Pink. Yeah. yeah. When. And, I, and, I, and I read that, I'm like, it makes sense. You know, it's, it's it, I, what I've been doing, you know, without really reading the book, but it's like trying to figure out what's your best activities for that day. Um, and then you do that. For example, on Sundays, I, I spend a lot of time writing on Sundays because Sundays I don't really get into a lot of meetings. So I actually write a blog. You know, I write for Forbes. I write company memos. Um, I'll write I'll write a script actually sometimes for a little animation short I might do for our product, you know? Um, so I might do things like that. When you're, when you're writing, whether it be, uh, something for a ad for you all, or back when you're writing a, a film script, do you start, I, I know that every writer and creative kind of has a different process. So I'm curious about yours. Do you start with the idea in mind and then kind of feel it out as you write or, is it much more discovery throughout the way? How, how did you kind of approach that? Do you have the end in mind, things like that before you even begin? No, I think it, it starts with the seed, a seed of an idea. So for okay. example, and I know we're talking about movies now for a minute, which I thoroughly enjoy, but uh, hopefully your audience finds that interesting enough as well. Oh, yeah. um, you know, there's a movie called Bad Grandmas that I directed. Um, it's on uh, Prime. I think you can watch yep. it on Prime. Um, and Bad Grandmas was uh, the last film of Florence Henderson before she passed away. Um, and if you, for people who don't know Florence Henderson, she was the Brady Mom in the Brady Bunch TV series. Yeah. Uh, and that was her last film before she passed wow. away. Um, so anyway, long story short, what I want, wanted to get with it. So the Bad Grandmas idea came because I was sitting at my in-law's place and my in-law, my mother-in-law at the time, she and her sisters used to play 
rummy card games together every you know Sunday afternoons. And I was just chilling there with my daughter and drifting off watching TV, you know, probably after a heavy meal or something. And I watched them and like I was an idea just popped in my head, right? Random idea. If it's like these old ladies, if they were murderers, nobody would suspect it. Right? <laughs> and that was the seed of the idea. Like what do I make a movie about that concept? Now I didn't necessarily have a plot in mind. I didn't know how it's gonna end, how it's gonna start. It was just a plot in mind. Now obviously you laughed, so it's a comedy. Yeah. But it's but but it's murder, so it's a dark comedy. So that was a genre. Right. So now now I have a genre because it's a dark comedy. And I knew it's interesting enough that when I stated that idea to anyone, they laughed. Right. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. this is a good one. So that's how mm-hmm. it started. And then I would write the plot around and then you start thinking about it when you're driving, you're thinking about it. When you're in the shower, you're thinking about it. And then as you get ideas, you start taking notes down. And that's basically how you come up with a concept. Um and then and that's how a lot of even product companies and and other businesses start. They start with a seed of an idea. And that blooms into something if you stay enough with it, right? So a lot of people yeah. abandon the idea, but if you stay with it long enough, and sometimes the idea is not good and you let it go. And that's the, that's the right thing to do at that point, you know, because I've had many story ideas, but I can't dedicate nine, eight, nine months of writing a script on every single idea that came to my head, you know, that wouldn't be the most prudent use of my time. So that's yeah. basically the concept. And then you write out, you write out the plot points and there's a whole concept uh, of how to write a book. There's a uh, or how to write a script. There's actually a book by uh, Sydney, I forgot the last name now, Sydney something, very famous book on how to write a, a movie script. And that basically I just followed the script or followed mm. the book, which has a work workbook and it tells you how to go about doing a movie script. But in three months, you'll have a film in a movie script written if you stay with it. Wow. Well, uh, you know, you mentioned you had the seed of the idea pop into your mind. Was it a similar... Uh, type thing with Engagely? Did you have a seed of the idea pop up or did it grow slowly over years? Where did the idea for this company come from? Well, I'll tell you, to be honest, it wasn't my idea. It was my business partner's idea. Um, he had an idea that engagement levels are low in in organizations. And what if we build a platform that helps people feel more connected with their work, mm. with their with their workmates? And that would help drive engagement because if you look at the Gallup Q12, there are many questions there. But some of the quest- one of the questions is, do you have a best friend at work? It drives engagement if you have a best friend at work. Do, do you feel like your manager cares about you? Do you feel like your ideas are being taken seriously? Those are some of the questions. I mean, I'm paraphrasing some of these questions, but those are some of the questions in the Gallup Q12 that drive uh, employee engagement. So we said, let's build a platform that actually address those questions. That's just it, you know, in one way or the other. And if you can, so it's not about measuring engagement, it's about addressing engagement. But if you solve for those questions, then mm-hmm. an organization in theory should have better engagement. That's the idea that my partner had. I really latched onto it because I worked in a lot of organizations as a consultant, you know, with Big Four, you work with big companies like American Express and Wells Fargo and, you know, AT&T and Sprint and all these companies I worked with. And one of the things that's very common is you you realize how disengaged people actually are, uh, especially, you know, most of them are there waiting for Friday afternoon uh, so that they can leave work and not have to, uh, you know, show up show up till Monday. Or they're depressed on Sunday night because they have to show up on Monday at, uh, at work on Monday. 
and it's a shame, you know, if you think about it, we spend our best years as Americans, at least we spend our best years, our most youthful energy, high energy years and our best times of the day in those years at work. So why not make the best out of it? Right. You're, sure. you're, you're spending your best moments in your, you know, as a, as a human being in your entire lifespan at work. And and to me, that was the motivating factor, like engagedly, if Engagely can make a little positive impact in that, that would I would consider it a success from my in my in my life book, if you will. Absolutely. What have you all found as as being the the levers that we can pull that move the needle towards better engagement and enjoyment? Such a simple thing, yet so hard for people to do. I don't know why. Recognition doesn't mm. cost a dime. For the most part, uh, as a manager or as a leader, even if you're not leading that person, it it takes 30 seconds for you to say thank you. You did a great job, and I appreciate what you did because it made this impact. That person is happy as a clam for the rest of the day, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't get enough of it. Managers, I'm sorry, employees don't get enough recognition for they, what they do, and then if they do enough where they go out of the way to do something, if they do that enough times and they're not getting recognition, they're going to stop doing it. And that's where the disengagement starts. And then they stop doing even the normal stuff. And they're just at that point, you know, phoning it in or punching the clock as they call it. Right. And that costs so much more money than this 30 seconds of gratitude uh, that you can provide to an individual. Yeah. So I would say if there's one thing you can do and that doesn't cost money is, is, is publicly acknowledge somebody and then do it publicly, do it in a public forum. That's what engaged has. We have a social, we have a social feed where you can publicly praise somebody. So in, in a distributed workforce, like most of the companies have, at least in our space, you can publicly pay, praise somebody and then everybody gets notified that this person got praised by this person. You can give somebody a virtual badge for things like that. Zero dollars, man. Do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's one thing you do, you know, just do that once a week to one person as a manager. Wow, man, that, that, I think that applies much more than just in the workplace, right? And that, your friends, your family, your kids, like we just often feel things we don't say. We may feel gratitude. We may have moments of feeling like, man, I'm, I'm really thankful that this exists, but how often do we go out of our way to say it? And like you said, what impact might that have on that person just to hear Hear that celebration, right? Right, and 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 obviously mean it. Just don't say, "Hey, thank right. you," and then walk away, you know. But actually mean it because you say, "Hey, this is what I felt because you did this," or "This is what our team felt," or "This is what the client felt because you did this," and I appreciate you for doing that. So thank wow. you. Wow, I love that. What else is on the uh, the platform that you all leverage for this engagement? Well, that is just one aspect of it. I mean, we obviously solve for a lot of other business processes, you know, performance management process, uh, feedback process, uh, things that, you know, coaches like you might use like a 360 feedback right. where you're getting feedback from multiple people. Uh, so we have a tool for that. Uh, we also have OKR and goal setting. Uh, but that's another big one actually is being transparent about your organizational strategy. And that's by defining your organizational goals. A lot of companies don't do a good job at defining that. You know, they don't say this is our organizational goal. and and publish that so that other employees can look at that and say, hey, this is what I need to be working towards. So they have a common understanding of what our overall goal is. So they know what their purpose 
is yeah. at work, you know. So I think that, uh, so that we have tools for that. Uh, we One of the big ones that we have started really building out in the last couple of years is in uh, employee development and growth. Uh, we've heard that over and over again the last couple of years, uh, especially the last couple of years, uh, where organizations really want to invest in employee growth and employees really feel connected where they feel like the managers and their organization cares about their career and their development and growth. So we're building some tools for that as well, by you know, providing online training, um, being able to map out their career journey, and then have facilitated those, those discussions with their manager. So, yeah. so those are some other things in our tool. Our, our tool is fairly broad. You know, it has like ten different modules, and it really depends on the organization strategy on which parts you want to focus on in your organization. I love that. It sounds like you're tapping into a lot of the intrinsic motivators, which are so much more substantial to a human being, right? Simple stuff, like you said, acknowledgement taps that part of me that says, hey, is what I'm doing seen? Is it valuable? You know, the setting of the goals, being transparent with it makes sense because often we're saying, why am I doing what I'm doing? If I'm going to work this hard, what is it for? What is this going towards, right? A lot of just very intrinsic to the human for why I would keep showing up and why I would give a crap about what I'm doing, right? Yes. In fact, I was, I used to be in this camp that the whole meaning of life camp, right? What is the meaning of life is to find happiness. And that was the whole camp I was on. I've changed that camp. I've I've quit that camp, actually. I said the whole meaning of life is driven by purpose. Hmm. It's the whole goal in life is to find purpose in what you do. Because if you do that, I think it, it defines your meaning of life, essentially. Well, let's back up a second. What what caused you to what caused you to quit the the happiness camp? Because I I well I got influenced by Viktor Frankl. Uh, yeah. In his when he wrote that you know he wrote that book and I started reading more about it. I still haven't finished that book by the way, but but I started Man reading more about for it. Meaning. And then Man's Search for Meaning, right? Uh, which is uh, and I think and you know I think everybody should read read it or at least read the gist of it if they don't want to read the whole book happiness is 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 a state of mind right you can be happy you can be unhappy and it's okay to be unhappy you know and that's the thing if you, if your whole goal in life is to be happy then unhappiness is a bad thing and i'm i'm saying that's not true right mm-hmm. you, you it's okay to be sad it's okay to be disappointed in yourself sometimes or in your loved ones or in your or even sometimes in your among your coworkers and your and your team members right it's okay with all of that but i think what's really makes you move forward makes you wake up in the morning is when you have purpose mm. you know if you're waking up and and purpose lead to happiness right i think it leads to happiness instead of so instead of finding happiness in a vacuum trying to find out how do i get happy is to actually say well, how do i find purpose in what i'm doing on a daily basis and if i have that then i think happiness automatically is is one of the outcomes of that yeah and that's just as my way of looking at it i could be wrong but that's 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 the camp i'm on these days yeah yeah i'm right there with you man it feels like the more you directly go at happiness the more it evades you right and then yes. the more that you do the things that could lead to happiness the more it kind of comes to you and you mentioned like you have to be open-handed that with with sadness, you know, with happiness comes sadness. With peace comes anxiety. That we have to be open to accepting the full spectrum of emotions in life, right? Yes, 
Yes, and I think where people really get really depressed and have feel lost, right? Feeling lost is the worst place to be uh, as a human being because that's what really drives people to depression and um, even suicide and other other aspects because they feel defeated and they feel lost. It's because they lost a sense of purpose. You know, if you had if you had purpose, uh, I think you would be less driven to doing those those things to yourself and to people around you. In your opinion, how would you encourage someone to discover or create? And maybe it's which one do you see it? Do you see it as a discover your purpose or do you see it as a create your purpose? How, you know, if someone's listening and they feel a little lost right now, how should they go about reengaging with purpose in their life? I think you got to go back to your first principles in some ways, you know, um, to really understand what is motivating you. To, if, if you're at a job, what is motivating you to be in the job? Now, maybe it's not the job. Maybe it's the purpose is so that you can give your child a good education. That's why you're in that job. That's why you're showing up, you know, sweeping the floors, even though you hate it. Yeah. Potentially. But if you started, if you change, flip the script and say, this is actually giving me the resources so I can send my kid to the private school that they, that he or she wants to go to, right? Or fund that kid's music lessons or whatever that is, right? Or provide an, a nicer house than you would otherwise have. I, I'm just giving an example here yeah, on top yeah. of my head. But that's, that's if you start looking at it, go to the first principles. The first principle would say that why are you working? It's not because I like sweeping the floors. It's because I have a family I want to feed. Or, or maybe it's just me, a singular person. Maybe it's me because I like to go on my you know, vacations. Maybe it's maybe that's the ultimate happiness and purpose that I have that I enjoy. So this is a way to feed that that uh, desire of mine, or that 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 things that fulfills me. Yeah. What's what's the purpose that uh, fuels you right now? You know, my purpose is to really uh, on engagement side. You know, if I can make if my purpose always is to figure out how can I find, at least in my work, how can I find the right place for an individual where they feel motivated and they feel like they are a good fit. So don't, uh, and this is something that Einstein said, you know, you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. So <laughs> yeah. don't put a fish in a position where it has to climb a tree. Put a fish in, in the water where, where it swims and put a, you know, a squirrel where you know it, it needs to climb a tree. So, so try to find the right positions for right people that drives them. Uh, gives me purpose. So making people because it, it it gives me purpose because it helps engagingly then do better work for its clients, which is to give ultimately give people fulfilling lives at at work, right? And to me that gives me purpose on mm. on one end. At a personal level, you know, there are things like I like, I personal level, I like cre creating, you know, I love the aspect of creating, whether it is creating like, like movies in the past or music, which is another thing I'm doing these days, or in Engagely, I'm creating better products, working with different, you know, on my team members, working with clients, solving their problems. So those things really, you know, drive, I would say my, my, uh, my purpose. It's, it's not. To some extent, I mean, to a great extent, it's not it's not really driven by money because that's just the I would say collateral benefit of doing all of this, and it enables me to do more of it. Absolutely, 
you mentioned earlier uh, a little bit of what your day looked like when you were writing a script and how we can really get strategic with the way that we structure our day. If we've only got six to eight hours, how are we using those hours? What does a day look like for you right now? How are you thinking about structuring your day? Well, right now it's pretty lopsided uh, because I've been traveling a lot and, and uh, it's, it's, but normally in a normal space life, it would start at 5 a.m. Typically, I would get a workout in uh, in the morning, and then I would start my day around 6.30 or so. I like to end my day around 3.30 or 4, to be honest. I don't like to go because my energy levels are shot by then anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I take a break. I will uh, read a book or go for a walk. And I have a dog, so I take him for walks twice a day. Uh, once in the morning, once in the evening, and there's typically about half a mile to a mile long walks each 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 time. So it's a nice twenty twenty five minute walk each time. That helps me just get out of my space. Yeah. Um, in the evenings, you know, I just uh, it depends. You know, sometimes I'm I'm watching binge watching Netflix, and sometimes I'm just reading a book. Sometimes I'm binge cooking a bunch of stuff, or sometimes I am uh, staying up record. Uh, you know, making music. Or it could be any of it. So I cannot leave the evening kind of just open-ended for things that I feel like doing at the time. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm curious about you is often what we'll hear kind of in the popular conversation around how to be successful in business is this singular obsession that it must consume your entire life. You can't be distracted by anything. You've got to, you know, work 24 hours a day. And not saying that, and maybe you have, not saying that you didn't have maybe in the early years of Engagely longer hours and that type of stuff, but the fact that you are multi-passionate, that you have not just this in your mind, but you also have this creative side and you also have the, you know, the film and the travel and that kind of stuff. How do you see that working, right? Like, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like you kind yeah. of seem to go against yeah. a little bit of the conventional advice, yet you're still successful. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, Maybe it is. I do. I do think having other passions help me be a better entrepreneur because yeah. it gives me ideas, and I can be more creative. I can think out of the box. I can take more risk with my ideas. Uh, it does help me with that. Um, I do think. I also think. You know, uh, there are phases in any company. You know, sometimes I am working fourteen-hour days for days on end. You know. And actually, that, that's how it was a few months ago. I was working 14-hour days for several months, uh, you know, except probably the weekends, because we were, uh, you know, in, in the process of getting a, 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 you know, our company in a, in, a, in a shape where we can do Series A and we raised Series A last year. Um, and then after that, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of work because now we had an investor on the board to get our company really, you know, working uh, as a world-class operation. So there was a lot of work on that. Um, the last few months, I've been working quite a bit. Uh, but at this point, I feel like I've got my normal mojo back. And so you, it ebbs and flows. Mm. It's like it's like sometimes you're running sprints and sometimes you're just trotting. And I think you just need to learn to, to pace yourself. Wow. I love that. Yeah, we call it for a season for a reason, right? That there's no one mode you can be in all the time. You've got to be kind of in tune with, hey, this might be a season we really got to push and, and kind of go extra hard and then recognize when we can have a little bit easier pace and, and, and kind of yes. enjoy that. Right. Well, I love what you talked about too, with the multi kind of the benefit of 
the different interests you have and how they can coincide. I've worked with some professional athletes before, and I was surprised that many of the most successful ones really find valuable their hobbies and interests outside of the sport that for a lot of reasons, one, it gives them multiple, multiple hats to wear that you're not just living and dying by this one identity of being an athlete and how the game go, right? You're also a husband or you're also a a hunter or uh, an artist or whatever. But two, Mm -hmm. some of the, like you said, some of the cross-functional learning of, Hey, what I learned in this discipline over here, I think would really help me in this, you know, pursuit over here. And so that's, I kind of connect with it that way. You know, that is actually, I completely agree with that. It's not so much, and I I don't know, you can actually mathematically uh, show why that is, but it does impact you when you step away from something and come back to it, you're actually better. And, And there's no reason to explain it, logically speaking, but your mind is still working and your body is still working. Yeah. And it's actually processing everything that you did and learned. Then, then you come back to it and you apply for it. For example, you know, music for sure. You know, I would sometimes practice, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer, so I will practice some drum and I would not, I'm not getting it. You know, there's this beat that I was trying to get from Led Zeppelin, which is really, really hard. I could not get it. I stepped away, didn't do that beat for months, right? I just doing something else. I came back, sat on it. I started playing the beat. Wow. For, and, and I don't know what happened, right? It's something just clicked. I was able to play that beat. Now, obviously not as good as John Bonham, but close enough. <laughs> close enough. I, can, I can at least play the beat, you know, maybe not at the same cadence and, and speed that he did. But yeah. So anyway, that, that was an example. Uh, and I, and I, I, there's no, I mean, I've read some studies that help that if you stay, go away, you maybe go to sleep, take a nap, you know, you come back, you actually might be a better performing. So I think that might have something to do with, you know, being involved because in, if you just do one thing for continuous period of time, you're not getting better. Yeah, you really can't. You, you know, start having like, diminishing returns. Yes, and in fact, you might have start having negative returns. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think some of it you mentioned earlier, which is just the energy that we have at a given time to give to something. If you've just been in that chair, facing that thing, beating your head against the wall over and over again, sometimes it's the energy of getting away and feeling refreshed, and then coming back with yes. renewed vigor and injured energy, right? Yeah, and sometimes you're not connecting the dots, and you go yeah. away, and the, and the dots start connecting, and then you come back, and you can actually because you you can start visualizing it. Sometimes it's hard to visualize while you're doing it. You step away from it, you can visualize it, and then you have a better idea of how to do it. You come back and you do it, you know. Yeah. And I think doing a different set of activity helps because it really t- removes you from thinking about it too much, so that subconsciously your brain is brain is probably still working on it. Like going for long walks, for example, or going on hikes really helps me at least get my head right when I come back to the same activity because I'm not able to solve the problem. There was this puzzle I couldn't solve. Uh, I saw this puzzle. There was It's like a little puzzle where you had to take the thread out or something, whatever. You know, I found it at a conference. I couldn't solve it. And then I went to sleep. The next morning, I woke up at 5.30. I went straight to the puzzle and I solved it in like five minutes. <laughs> no, no good reason, right? And I don't know why. Yeah. It just happens sometimes. Yeah. I wish I could remember... Uh, who I heard this about, but there's some famous, uh, and maybe you know this, some famous writer like Hemingway, maybe it was Hemingway, they would intentionally stop in the middle of a sentence that he was working on so that he, when he came the next day, he knew where he wanted to pick up. So instead of like, most of us are like, hey, I've got a good idea. I'm not getting up until I'm done. He would intentionally stop midway through an idea 
because he said the most intimidating part was the next day starting from scratch. Yes. And if he stopped in the middle of a sentence, he could come back to it, finish that sentence, and kind of get back in that flow and then go from there for the rest of his writing. Isn't That's that interesting? awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah, I love it. I but that takes it. discipline. That takes discipline because you're like, no, it's it's cooking. Like I'm feeling I'm feeling the energy flow and all that kind of stuff. And and he had the discipline to stop and go, all right, we'll pick back up here tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then actually have to do it next day, right? Yes. Yeah, but I feel that. Like as a creative myself, you know, I've written a book that I do speaking, all that kind of stuff. I feel that intimidation, that resistance of the blank page. Or yes. all right, I made time for it, but am I actually gonna do it? and overcome all the insecurity and the, I don't feel it today, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you just have to start and yeah. starting is really literally is the hardest part. You know, I, I run a lot of five Ks, and sometimes like this morning I went for, I, I only went for a mile run, but the first point one mile is the hardest. Yes. But I just trudged through it. And then after that, I just wanted to keep running. I actually stopped because I had meetings to come back to, but I kept, I could have, I could have kept running for a full 5K yeah. or longer, you know? But I realized the first that mile just always sucks. Start. <laughs> or first tenth of a mile or first quarter mile. That's for me, it's a mile. I, like, for me, it literally is. It's the first mile that I, and I think it's your, you're going from static to in motion. And so it's like waking up the muscles and they're kind of complaining a little bit. And then, Really, the brain. The brain keeps going. Are we really going to do this? Are we really going to oh, do this? Oh, it's like you talk you out of it. Like yeah, you talk you out of it every every second there. You know, so but hard. for me, it takes a full mile. Maybe I just got extra. I got an extra strong resistance in me. But after the first mile, it's like my brain goes, "Oh, I guess we're doing this. We might as well enjoy it." And then it starts to get right. kind of easier. You know, right, right, right. But I feel that about anything. That's why I like the Hemingway thing. Is hey, at least if you knew where you're going to start, you could get started, get through that rough, the, you know, the, the the difficult part, and just get going. And I would say, you know, for all the businesses we've we've uh, interviewed on this podcast, it feels similar to that that you have an idea, but uh, thousands of people have an idea. How many of them yes. actually get started on it? And then when they get punched in the teeth, keep going and pivot and really work their way through. And so. I'm just curious that like you, you've had to do that over and over again to get a script out of your computer and be made is a great adventure to take a idea of a company like Engagely with your partner, take it from an idea and actually have it be a real product in the marketplace that is growing and, and, and thriving is an adventure. What do you think has given you that, that grit and that resilience to, to see these things through? It's, it, it, uh, I will say this, it's, it's a question I ask myself, did I, can I live with myself if I quit, right? Mm. Did I give it all, right? And if I, do, if I, if I, the answer is no, I didn't try, I didn't really give it all, then, then shame on me, right? I, I don't know if I can live with that feeling personally. And that's just, mm. maybe it's a me thing, you know, or maybe that's, that's what a lot of entrepreneurs are. Like they, because quitting and then having to face yourself as a quitter in the mirror is a harder feeling to to swallow than at least giving it all and maybe even going broke in the process, you know? And at least you can say you tried, you gave it all, you know? There's no, at this point, there's no reason to be regretful. Hmm. Because if you didn't give it all and you quit, then there's this regret, right? And then how do you outlive up? You know, that's just, because you can't, I mean, you can't erase that. It's going to be there for the rest of your life, you know? And that's, that's, that's my 
way of looking at it, I guess. You know, now I have quit. I have quit when I, when I thought this idea was stupid or it's not going to work, you know. How do you know? How do you know when, and I, and I know it's not a perfect science, but in your judgment, like what are you looking for that signals to you, I think this is the something that is right to quit versus I'm giving up on something that could work and I don't know why I'm quitting, you know? Yeah. Um, this is an example. So there's another startup that I tried doing. Um, I, 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 I'll use the word tried because I didn't really, because I quit. And it was an e-commerce um, startup for saying organic and earth-friendly goods and products for aimed towards kids, right? So really healthy shampoo and bubble baths and, you know, pillowcases that are organic cotton, you know, things of this nature. I realized about two to three months in that all, everything I was trying to sell, Amazon also had it. Now, Amazon had 500 other things, varieties of that. I'm like, I can't compete with that. The only way I can compete with that is if I had a lower price or some unique brands that Amazon doesn't carry. And I tried hard to do the deals, but you can do those deals. In fact, Amazon would prevent our the vendors from selling them for any lower price anywhere else. Mm. So I couldn't even do that. So at that point, my options really were to quit because I can't compete with Amazon. I, or at least that's a much bigger hurdle than I'm willing to take, you know. Mm. Or, or build a my own brand of products. Like like Honest, for example, is a, is a great brand, right, that Jessica Alba built. You know, Honest brand, she did that whole thing. And now, because now it's Jessica Alba and Honest, right? I could do something like that, which is based on me and what I know. And I don't have that expertise or neither do I have the energy to build that expertise. Like, because I don't really know about organic cotton versus just, you know, I just thought it was a good idea, you know? Right. So six months in to the, and after thinking about a few, you know, I didn't think a lot, probably twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 of my own, own money, which is a lot for some of them, some, some people, but it's, it's not a whole lot, you know, it's not like life changing amount of money. I, uh, I decided to quit because I was like, there. I couldn't come up with a good pivot to make this work that was worth my effort. Yeah, it makes total sense. Makes total sense. And and you kind of have to, in those cases, avoid that sunk cost fallacy, you know, that, well, I've already sunk this much money in, like, I can't lose it and go, no, staying in a bad idea is only going to cost you more money if you don't get out when you see the writing on the wall, right? Yes, yes. That was an, that's an example of that. Um, and sometimes you just, have, you just have to quit because you don't, you realize you don't have the talent, you know. Mm. I mean, I've quit. I mean, I was in my twenties, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to play tennis. I'm going to start playing tennis really well." And I realized I, I had no no way close to talent <laughs> or some of these people. I'm like, "That's the point. I'm just going to make, do this for fun," you know. Yes. It, yeah. A little dose of realism in there, and that's that's a fine line, like you know, for, for successful creatives and founders, they walk a fine line between having to be almost um, crazy optimistic while also being in touch with certain realities, right? Uh, yes. And I think it requires a good dose of humility, but it also requires extreme optimism right. at the same time, even though they are seemingly contradictory, right? Because yeah. you need to be humble enough to know what your shortcomings are and where you might fail. But have the optimism and the confidence that I can still do this 
and but have in your brain you should have some path to get there you know blind optimism without any idea of the path to get there is not is that's that's being stupid you know don't do that yeah yeah i love that and like you said it's a it's a fine line it's it's something that is held in tension and it's one of those things we have to learn how to embrace both you know um we got to be okay in the face of doubters saying no i really feel like this can work while at the same time noticing what you are are, are recognizing as a true weakness of the idea or a weakness in your skill set that you could uh, find a way to strengthen right um so that's really cool i i, I know we're coming up on our time here so i want to just get into the idea uh, or into the current reality of engagely what is kind of the the exciting stuff that you are pursuing right now and even just at the season of this company, how would you characterize the season the company's in right now? The season is an exciting time to be actually honestly, mm. to be honest. And I'm not just saying that I actually mean it because the, and I, and you probably been hearing this so much that it's going to be like, Oh no, one more company that's doing it. It's open AI, right? Yeah. I, I am, we started using open AI in our platform, open AI based tools, so we built our own layer on top where we can use large language models where to train our our system and our the open ai based system because earlier you had to build your own ai and that's a lot of effort and work and it's not as good as some of these people who have lived their life building ai tools right and for us in which is an hr tech software company to say okay we're going to be an ai platform it's, it's it's a hard uplift, but the fact that OpenAI opened up its AI uh, a- APIs last late last year really opened the doors for a lot of innovation that we can do in in to our server so serve our constituents, which is the employees, managers, and the HR leaders. And to, now I can surface talent, uh, you know, skills to the management. Right, I can give you ideas. On based on this behavior, maybe you should learn this, right? I can be more prescriptive. I can be more, I can provide some recommendation. I can help, like the recognition you just, I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast. I can help managers say, hey, hey manager, you have not recognized, you know, individuals A, B, and C in your team, even though they've achieved their goals consistently three quarters in a row. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying, I mean, I can hard code that, but AI can, probably figure that out you know that you have not done that and then give you give a nudge hey maybe you should go and recognize this employee you know things like that where systems can be smart and you're assisting managers and employees to be better you know and and organizations to be better as well so those are are things i'm really excited about um being the building that layer where the system can be smart enough to give you recommendations give you ideas so that the you know the workforce feels more fulfilled they have ideas they can they can they can work better together you know for example personality traits i can probably get that's why one of the things i was talking about assessments for example if you get assessments in i can probably use the platform to build hey this is a better team if you put these people together because their personality traits actually work complement each other right Versus these people who might end up fighting among each other. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But those are some of the examples of how how I can build high performing, better performing, more fulfilling teams and and workforce. Heck yeah! 
I love that. All right, my friend, if someone is listening right now and they'd like to check out your software and your services, where should we send them? Well, it's engagedly.com. Engaged, E-N-G-A-G-E-D-L-Y, engagedly.com is the product. Um, they can learn more about, more about me, Sri Chalapa. Uh, I'm, I'm frequently uh, posting on LinkedIn. And that's the best way to connect with me as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, t- sharing your story, your passions, your interests. Man, this has been uh, truly fun and, and inspiring to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Drew. It's been a pleasure. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.